0: And our Burdick BMW opening drive here today would have been the 2020 NBA draft in a world either without coronavirus or a world where coronavirus was handled better at the start and things proceeded somewhat on time. Instead, we're going to have NBA in the summer, which is strange, but uh, we'll take it given how the sports schedule slows to a crawl. We'll see if they can fight through the coronavirus because... As mentioned, the state of Florida is seeing a rapid spike in cases. So some NBA players and NBA officials might, uh, even in a quarantined environment in Disney, might uh, get a little skittish about trying to go forward with this plan. We'll see about that. And the draft is not going to be until October. And the draft is going to take place pretty much three, or two or three days after the finish of the delayed NBA Finals, which is usually the case now. The NBA Draft takes place about a week or so after the the NBA Finals, depending on how long they go, right? The discussions we've had in recent years about Syracuse basketball players in the draft have been interesting because people kind of loop all the stories together when you really can't do that. Tyler Ennis' story is not similar to Tyler Lydon's story. Malachi Richardson's story is not similar to Tyus Battle's story, right? You have to look at the individual. You have to look at the type of draft that they're in. You have to look at their personal circumstances. You have to look at what their analysis is. Are they riding a hot hand? In the case of Malachi Richardson, he was barely on an NBA draft radar until he had a terrific NCAA tournament, and all of a sudden people started taking a second look at him. He starts rising up the board. He catches wind of that buzz, and he cashed in, became a first-round pick. We're going to get to see a couple of those names that I mentioned in Beheim's Army. Starting next week, they start on the 4th of July, so that's around the corner. We'll certainly be discussing that as we get closer and talk to the participants involved as we get closer. So that reference right there would lead you to believe that, I mean, this was just a few years ago. Here you have now Bayheim's Army, the basketball tournament, the $2 million prize has brought in a lot of talent. It's brought in a lot of great players that tournament in a short period of time has become legit. So I would be very careful about saying, ah, jeez, it's only a couple years later and those guys are playing in Beheim's Army. Look how many former pros who were just in the league are in that thing before you, you start scoffing at that one. So that I cut you off at the pass there. But each story is unique. So here you have Elijah Hughes, who left Syracuse early, adding to a list of recent players, That have done so, but obviously Elijah Hughes is not in the same category there. Transferred over, older player, 23 years old. We talked to Elijah here on the show. I had him on my podcast recently if you want to look that up and listen to our conversation about his reasoning for going into the draft, but all reasons were applicable. He would have been drafted tonight. I'm confident in saying that based on the analysis of those that you read And the analysis of those that I talk to People that I speak to The scout who knows People tied to the league Mix it all together He would have been drafted tonight Now some would look at this draft All would agree It was somewhat of a weaker draft And I don't think that's going to change much In October when it takes place But what I am wondering is What if at all Elijah's status could change Between here and there When NBA teams start to get back into the the process of it. Not that they have forgotten about these prospects, not that they have stopped doing their job in the sense of anything. It has allowed them to watch more film of these prospects. They haven't anything else to do. The people that are tasked with these things, general managers and coaches, sure, they're involved in conversations about protocol and safety, but most of this is, is handled at the league level. Most of this is handled above them, and they're told what to do. Their insight is there, but if anything, coaches and GMs have spent more time watching film, plotting things, preparing, and have had more time to prepare for a draft that was supposed to be today, whereas some of these teams, now the teams that were just playing, of course, they're at the back end of the first round. They're used to adjusting in that sense anyway. The teams that would have drafted high tonight, they always no matter what the situation would be, would have plenty of time to do it. It's a year-round process anyway, but what I'm wondering about is, so they're given more time to scrutinize, to look, and what they're watching is game film. And that, to me, helps Elijah Hughes. I think he would have killed it in workouts. I think he would have killed it in the normal process. I think he would have been on the cusp of being a first-round pick. I don't know if I'd put money on that, but based on some conversations with people, the last time the scout, who knows, and I exchanged texts just on his game and just discussed that, like he's right there. But if I had to put money on it, I'd, I'd, I'd go kind of mid to late second round. So it's been a long time, and then we'll see how the NBA plays this summer, and then before you know it, we're just going to be in this wacky sports calendar. It's what the NBA draft is tomorrow. It's October, right? But the Masters is in November and all these things that are out of place because of the coronavirus situation, right? So if it's tonight, if it's October, he's a draft pick. If it's tonight, if it's October, he's a player that translates the league He's a player that based on his film, his real game film, how he can take over games, how he can play multiple positions. the one thing that I saw from all analysts and something that the Scout who knows discussed as well is a little more consistency in his three-point shot. but everything I've seen about Hughes as a player as a prospect in terms of a you know there's always you know pluses and minuses, pros and cons of, of players to me is easily correctable. In an NBA setting, in a pro setting where that's all he would do. These are not you know, he's too short, he's too this, he, you know, that you can't control. Every every criticism I saw, and, and criticism is not the right word. It's an it's an analysis when, you know, NBA players, NFL players go into a draft, you kind of give them that Mel Kuiper Jr. breakdown, here's the good, here's the bad, here's what translates to the league, here's what doesn't. Everything I've seen about Hughes is easily correctable. At the NBA level. So that unfortunately won't happen tonight. And remember the NBA draft. Having a player. Preferably in the first round. But when future recruits. People considering Syracuse. People that analyze these things. Look you want to see that name on that board. We tend to remember things. About players that went in. And. How long they lasted in the league, and some people will be critical of that. The reputation with Syracuse NBA players, right, wrong, or indifferent, is well, how do they adjust defensively with the 2-3 zone, et cetera, et cetera, man to man. Syracuse, when you think of programs that pump out NBA players, there are names to pop to mind. But it is a reputation that's been challenged a little bit. There it is a reputation where people say, well, yeah, they're putting people in the league in the circumstance, but are they creating 10, 12, 14 year stars? I mean, obviously, Carmelo Anthony is the name that leads the charge there. Deion Waiters is an interesting prospect in terms of kind of where his reputation is in the league. Jeremy Grant has turned into an absolute force, and he was one of the guys criticized the most for leaving early when he left early. So it's a process. Some guys you think are going to make it don't, some guys you think you're skeptical of flourish into stars, and get big contracts. So what Syracuse won't get tonight is that buzz, is that push, is that David Stern preferably, not David Stern. Come on, you dope. I just had that image in my head of David Stern walking to the podium. No, Adam Silver walking to the podium, first round, and that sound bite that you hear. Not that the deputy commissioner announcing your name is a bad thing. If you get your name announced, period, that's a good thing. So they won't get that bump and that push and that discussion tonight. Just a little reminder that when the NBA draft takes place, even with the extra time and sometimes that works against you, more time to scrutinize, more time to think, more time to leap these players over this guy on, on your draft board and Elijah Hughes will survive all of that. Elijah Hughes will get through all of that. It's not like they're adding more players to the draft pool. It's the same draft pool, and when it comes down to it, he's going to get picked. Even in a sports world where more things are starting to come back and the tide is turning and we're discussing more things that are are happening or about to happen versus what's not happening. But tonight was one of those reminders of, oh, yeah, that was supposed to be the draft. And Syracuse would have got that little bump. And prior to, what was it, last year, I believe, the three schools, let's keep this in mind. And we've seen Syracuse go on a real recruiting streak lately, so that narrative got pushed away. But one thing Syracuse had going for it, no matter what the criticisms of its recruiting were, there were three schools that up until recently had the longest streaks of players picked in the first round. Those three schools were Kentucky, Duke, and Syracuse. That would not have been the case tonight if I had to put money on it, but they would have had a player drafted. And that's an important part of recruiting. When you look at NBA draft lists and boards, and you want a consistency there. As a coach, you want to be able to tell future recruit, fill in the blank, we have had players drafted in the league, and you want stats that sound big for 12 straight years, for 10 of the last 12 years, eight of the last nine first-round draft picks, right? Like, you want those strong numbers. I mean, Syracuse is on a plane where, look, Kentucky doesn't have to explain that. North Carolina doesn't have to explain that. Duke doesn't have to explain that. Kids know that's why they're going there. Syracuse is certainly enough of a school and a reputation, and people know it's a pipeline to get to the NBA. They do not have to explain that. They do not have to justify that. Kids know. But it doesn't hurt that that consistency's there. And when you're on the phone with picks, hey, you see Elijah Hughes last night got drafted? That could be you, right? Like all those things you do in recruiting. So they won't get that tonight, but they will get it uh, soon enough, for sure. Let's break on that note, come back and continue the SU basketball discussion because with I'm trying to set my compass of where we are, and it's still weird, man. Like, that hit me today. I'm like, man, today was supposed to be the draft, and usually after the draft, life kind of downshifts, and we go into summer vacation mode, and trust me, I've got some time off coming up, but my sports compass is so thrown off. But one thing we would usually do with the draft that we can do today is kind of look at the depth chart, look at Hughes moving on, and who steps in for him? Because that's still kind of a question mark. We think we know who it is, but who is it really going to be? How's that process going to work? Is it, uh, a mul- to quote our old friend Paul Pasqualoni? is it a multiple situation there? Our friend Donna DeToto from Syracuse.com had a, a wide-ranging conversation with Jim Beheim, which you should read, on Syracuse.com. A lot of uh, topics covered there, but what we have now... Are college basketball players ready to trickle back to campus? The NCAA set a period of July 1st through the 19th for limited in-person college basketball activities, weight training, conditioning, light workouts. During that time, coaches cannot interact with players on the court. So Syracuse coach Jim Beheim and his staff decided to bring back players the weekend of July 6th. There's Beheim notes to Donna here quote, that way they have 14 days, we can get them stabilized, get testing done, get everything done. So when they hit the gym on the 20th, the coaches can be in the gym with them. Now, Syracuse is in a unique place in history, if you will, on this. Because their season ended last March. Syracuse eliminates North Carolina in the ACC tournament. That was the last game of that ACC tournament. John Swafford canceled the tournament the next day, so Syracuse never got to play Louisville, and it's just kind of gone from there as one of the most unique circumstances we'll ever experience in our lifetimes. When asked whether SU basketball players will undergo to the same COVID-19 testing protocols as the football team, Bayheim confirmed that. They'll test. Everybody will get tested. Now, it's going to be interesting... Because football players are in these pods, right? And then the pods grow if the testing and everything works out as they go. Basketball, obviously, is a much smaller situation, given where we're at in Phase 4, given where we're at with everything. The team can pretty much be together. And Bayon brings up an interesting point, and this is going to be an interesting point about college sports in particular. And Here's what he said, quote, Of the 18- to 22-year-olds that have tested positive and are healthy and don't have underlying conditions... How are they now? That's information that we really need and are not getting. It's a critical point because we have seen spikes in a number of states. Texas, California, Arizona, Florida, Ohio. New York's numbers are going down. It'll be interesting to see if that continues when Phase 4 kicks in tomorrow. Now, that's not the whole state. It's certain pockets of the state. But in other places where they opened early... In places in this country where, I mean, people, because they've watched a few YouTube videos or done some Internet sleuthing of some sort, start to doubt the credentials of the CDC, of Dr. Fauci, of infectious disease experts that went to school for years, have studied this every day of their lives. I was listening to a Dr. Gupta today. And. The frustration in his voice. I should play the clip for you. This is somebody who, and I'm paraphrasing, I don't want to misquote him, but basically said, I get up every morning at 4.30 and consume everything I can about this. I stay up late every night. I'm only getting three or four hours of sleep because all of his time is devoted to studying this, looking at the trends, looking at the numbers, knowing what he knows. I mean, that guy is an expert. There is no questioning he's an expert. But because he's on CNN, there's a certain percentage of people that immediately discredit him. But all you got to do is, is look at his credentials. Put that same guy on Fox and watch how the tide turns. We truly live lo- live in two different countries in a way, depending on what your, your preference is in terms of political party, television network, whatever the case may be. But that's the world we live in today. People can get into these internet wormholes, watch a few YouTube videos, and would rather believe conspiracies and would rather believe nonsense than believe the experts. And look, some of the experts have been wrong on this. Fauci has said some things that turned out not to be true. But you got to remember, this is a virus. It's not predictable. It's not something that you you go to a store and there's instructions on how to do it. You know, I've got a bottle of, of Windex here. In the studio, there's specific instructions of what you do with it, directions for you. It's pretty clear what it does. Well, there's certain things viruses can be unpredictable. There's certain things they know about. Well, if humans do this, it'll help the virus spread. If humans do that, it'll at least contain the spread. There are people that are going into places of business that have rules that you have to have a mask and they decide to have a political argument in that place of business. There are I'm seeing more bars and restaurants on whatever it be, Facebook, whatever you hear stories, friends of mine that own businesses that are like particularly bars and restaurants that are saying, "Look, like or hate the mask argument. I can't stay open because how how do I police it?" People don't know the rules, and even some that know the rules don't follow the rules, and it just becomes so frustrating for them that they're like, I can't do this. So until the mask rule is removed, until whatever that, you know, how can I put this, pressure point is, it's just not worth it to them. You know, we're hearing today about why Destiny USA is not going to open. The governor is wondering about the air quality of the building, and then, Well, what does that mean for the air quality of the buildings that are open now? The grocery stores and the box stores in the certain places. So, again, I want to turn this into a coronavirus thing. I'll bring it back to sports. But the point being, from Beheim's comment, all right, well, if you get it and you're young and, yes, it doesn't affect you as much as it does if you're somebody who's older, what about the second time around? What about when they start interacting with people on campus? And and that brings me to something else that Beheim said to players. Here's what he said, quote, uh, this is again to Donna DeTota. We're going to try to be very smart and careful about our interactions as all people are going to have to be. College kids are going to have to make that adjustment. They're going to have to be careful. It's a different world. I've already told our players, you're going to have to lock in. You're going to have to come in and stay in your area. When we start playing games, we can't go out because you could miss three to four games if you test positive. Players are going to have to be very careful in terms of what they're doing schools are going to put in protocols they're going to have to wear masks and, and do all the things that society is a, at least in theory supposed to be doing though people push back on that you going to tell me what to do america It's a public health issue it's not a political issue but let's make everything political but these are 18 to 22 year old kids right By virtue of being an 18- to 22-year-old kid, they don't listen to adults. They're going to want to get together and go to parties and do what college kids do, right? We're already seeing huge spikes in the numbers, not only in that age group, but put it in like the 18- to 35-year-old category because the world's open again, whatever the case may be. So think about what we've heard from football already. Some pockets of schools that are announcing 14 players tested positive LSU had to quarantine Texas had to uh, shut down workouts Houston had to shut down workouts they are in contained environments right now the campus community is not even there there are protocols they're tested all the time which will find more positive cases if there's more tests of course that's a good thing so you can kinda filter it out figure out how the protocol works but what happens when everybody mixes again on campus So to hear that from Beheim, look, if you're an a athlete at a school, you're already under certain restrictions. Your time is already occupied by practice, by film study, by your dedication to that sport. You're going to have to be even more stringent about certain things, who you interact with and how. Think of a mean, ba- I mean, I'm thinking of the different sports, God forbid, you know, I don't want to name names here. I don't want to put anybody in an uncomfortable position, but God forbid you're starting point guard. I'll just use it generally. Test positive. Well, of course, the protocol, at least what we think the protocol will be, is you're going to have to sit out. You're going to have to quarantine for a certain period of time. If that's Syracuse, there's one guard on the bench in Kadari Richmond. What's the threshold going to be if a certain team on the schedule has lost, I don't know, three or four players because of it and another team doesn't? What's the protocol with that? Now, there's, of course, injuries in sports generally, but this is a different case. It's a virus that does not have a vaccine yet. Does not, I mean, there's a treatment for it, obviously, but it's you're just kind of dealing with it. There's so many unanswered questions here, but people just want to plow through. They've got fatigue about what they're hearing about it. And we're in a rather unique place. Just when you thought we were making a lot of progress on this and in certain places in the country we are, it's going the other way. All you got to do is just take a step back and look what's happening out there and what people are, are saying at public hearings, what they're certainly saying on the Internet, what people you know are probably saying about it. It's June twenty fifth, and in a few short months, we've all become experts on this, and question the experts on it—people that have done this their entire lives and are literally the experts. Oh, I don't, I don't that guy don't know what he's saying. Oh, okay, and and you do? Why? Did did you go to school for this and just not tell anybody about it? I didn't know you were an infectious disease expert, Bob. Holy cow! Okay, yeah. What a world we live in, and we're trying to play sports through it. Now, one other note, I know I'm bouncing all over the place here, but on the Syracuse front, look, there's a lot of coaches that are in the high-risk area. Jim Boeheim's certainly one of them. He's going to be 75, year, is 75 years old. He's going to turn 76 years old during the season. Roy Williams, I think of. Mike Shashevsky, I think of. There's a number of coaches that falls squarely in that category of high risk just based on age. So here's what Beheim said about that. Quote, I've been doing the same things everybody's supposed to do, social distance, wear my mask, but I have no underlying conditions. I'm healthy, and I'm going to coach 100%. And if I was really nervous about it, I could coach from 20 feet away from my players without any problem. It's not even a concern for me. Even if it was more of a threat, I can't live like that. End quote. So that's the Syracuse basketball protocol. Players back on campus, and we'll see how that goes. Football's already going through that. Football workouts will step up a bit in July, and here we are on June 25th, the night that was supposed to be the NBA draft, and I think we all know based, and oh, I wanted to mention this basketball-wise too before we take a break. There's already a team that had to back out of the basketball tournament, TBT. Because they were working out together. There were a few positive cases. And protocol for TBT says you have to bow out. Certain number of players test positive. You're done. They're going to be in a quarantine situation. We've talked to Kevin Belly about this. we talked to Demetrius Nichols about this. About Eric Devendorf. But now that we're getting closer and it's on the doorstep. How it's going to work when they go to Columbus. They're going to be staying in a hotel a couple blocks away from the arena. Testing, of course, and all these protocols, but you can't hide from this thing. You can take all the precautions in the world you want. You can't completely hide from this thing. And that's what we've got to keep in mind here. That's why, and I have not been flawless in this, trust me. I've just been as frustrated as some. I've questioned some things. I've been wrong on some things. We're all trying to find our way through this. Don't take this as I'm Dr. Fauci, but here's what I know. We're reaching a point where people are fatigued with it. They just want to move on with their lives. But they're also starting to, they they have common sense fatigue. You know what is not tired? The virus. You know what will not stop? The virus. You know what doesn't care? The virus. The virus is going to spread if the right precautions are not taken. We seem to be trending the right way. Here in New York, not that Cuomo's been flawless in this by any stretch, and I'll save you the political commentary there, but Texas, California, Arizona, places where they play college football, places where they play college basketball, states that Syracuse will have to travel to, not some I mentioned, but others that are spiking and they'll have to. We just kind of have to get used to the fact that there's going to be games canceled. There's going to be unique circumstance of it. There's going to be there's a lot of privacy issues with this certainly, but I mean it's going to be pretty obvious when you hear about a player who has been ruled ineligible for a game in a certain period of time and the language that's used by schools, particularly private schools that don't div- divulge information basically as much as they have to and that's going to out that person as someone who has coronavirus and there's still a stigma with that. There should not be but there is, unfortunately. So we're plowing through for the virtue of having sports, certainly economically. You know, it's, it's just this balance. It's this back and forth. It's trying to find a way through it.